Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. This is the second of a four-episode long special on the MENA region here at the European VC. This special series of episodes focuses on everything MENA VC, bridging the gap with its European counterparts. We intend to shed light on the ins and outs of venture in the MENA region and promote collaboration between these two beautiful regions, Europe and MENA. For this special series of episodes, we welcome our dear friend and special co-host, Mustafa Gadot. And as our guest, today we're welcoming Leila, general partner at Algebra Ventures. She has joined their second $90 million fund, and her appointment marks progress in Egypt's VC ecosystem, becoming the country's second female partner at a VC. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving it a review, and following us on LinkedIn. Want to be on top of who the best up-and-coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? All good. We're very happy to have you today. Yeah, Leila, very, very excited to have you. I have to say to our audience, this is probably the episode that had most technical issues and Leila <laughs> has been a champ in <laughs> bearing with us. Uh, just so you know, this is the second time we're recording. So if, if Leila ever sounds a bit bored by our questions, it's because this is the second time round. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to mix it up a bit. I'll surprise you with my answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll throw you some curveballs <laughs> just to keep it lively. No, but Leila, on, on a more serious note, um, you know, I always like to ask when we start the episodes, what got you into venture? How did you break into venture? I think it's super cool to hear those stories. So tell us everything. How did that happen? Sure. So I studied uh, law at the Cairo University and studied finance at the American University in Cairo. And then uh, started my career in private equity towards investment banking, so a lot of suits and modeling and Excel to London, did my uh, MBA there, and then decided to, to join my time there. I started hearing about startups and founders where they used to bring in a lot of founders and different courses, and I got really excited about it and decided to move back to Egypt to join um, what in my head would be a very happening ecosystem, and that was back in 2012. My disappointment, maybe also a naive sense, is that back then there wasn't really a lot of startups and there, there wasn't quite an ecosystem in Egypt back then. So here I was thinking I just came back from the Swatshot MBA that I would find VC role at the get-go. There, there wasn't much. I've decided to join the startup. I believe that the best investors are the ones that have walked in founders' shoes. Please tried them on. That's why I, I really wanted to get this experience. I joined WhatsApp, which was an online recruitment platform. At the time, it was the first startup in Egypt to raise a significant Series A from international VCs. And that was kind of the first article that TechCrunch posted on an Egyptian startup. It was a $1 million round. 
So you can imagine how big, how early on the ecosystem was. So I've spent some time with Wazdaf and, and worked with a few other startups and kind of operations and scaling, etc. That time I got a chance to meet the algebra guys. I was actually recruited as their first associate. And I worked on the first investment, which was El Menus, an online food ordering platform. Worked there for some time and then had to relocate to Dubai. So I joined Middle East Venture Partners, which is a later stage VC fund. Quite interesting moving from an Egypt-focused fund at an early stage to going to a later stage that covers kind of GCC and getting seeing what happens after you kind of put in your, the first ticket and start seeing companies that actually make it or die. A lot of portfolio management as well. After MEVP, I got introduced to 500 global, 500 startups, 500 global now. And I was brought on board uh, on the Falcons Fund to be the third person on the IC. 500 startups, for people that don't know, they do very early tickets early on. So we have a huge portfolio, around 180 companies. The scope was to kind of look through those companies and see which companies we should earmark for follow-on or to double down on. So it was also quite interesting. Got the chance to see kind of very early tickets up to kind of a later stage and then further on to decide kind of where my investment pieces lies and, and what interests me the most. And then most recently, I've transitioned into Algebra Ventures. So I think the announcement came out. We've just done our first close. So it's pretty exciting moving back to Egypt and to focus on the Egyptian market where I feel there is the most potential in the region. That is quite exciting. And, and I'm, I promised some curveballs, but uh, it's quite exciting. Our recurrent listeners, they will remember that we've had a couple of people from the 500 startups, now 500 global organization, and we do like them a lot. I personally love the concept of the perfect portfolio size that 500 pioneered. That is basically the core of, of, of the name. That's really cool. I'd like to ask you, um, when you look back at those 500 days, what did you get out of that experience? What did you learn? What were your, like, your core learnings there? So in all honesty, I think I've learned so much from 500. I'm forever grateful for this experience. First of all, being part of a huge portfolio is an amazing learning experience because we have a phenomenal portfolio in the Falcons Fund. So we're really part of kind of the big star companies that you hear about all the time. We've actually put in tickets, significant tickets there, but also we're part of companies that have shut down pretty quickly. So you're able to see kind of a different scope or a full scope of companies across different markets, which is really invaluable. Another part of it is being part of the network itself, the 500 network. Amazing. Being able to reach out to different thematic funds and getting insights on different markets, similar players. I think this is also something that is quite special for 500. I've also went on their VCU program called the Venture Capital Unlock Program, which they do in partnership with Stanford. So I got a chance to go two weeks in Stanford, kind of meet a lot of startups and kind of sets you up to become a fund manager yourself. So really kind of the educational path of 500 is also quite interesting because a lot of people learn it on the job, which is amazing. But I got the opportunity to learn it on the job as well as go through the program. I speak very highly of ECU, actually. Uh, they were ca- super kind to invite me to um, a workshop there on fund modeling. And what I thought was super cool about that program was that it's not like you're getting told like a process or a framework or whatever. You know, you're doing it during the session with a bunch of other emerging GPs and in some cases established GPs. So I speak very highly of it. So uh, Mustafa, I'll stop <laughs> destroying the script and I'll shoot it over to you. <laughs> 
No, I mean, I love how you destroyed the script. It's, it's really good. Please do that more often. <laughs> Laila, as a first-time fund manager, how do you see the trends and the opportunities in the MENA region with the uprising of unicorns from the region and Sony cones also? Do you think the market is, is becoming more attractive for international and European LBs and so on? So first of all, in terms of opportunity for the funds, I think for first-time fund managers, it's very important to, to answer a big question, which is what makes your fund very special? Why would LPs put money in your fund as opposed to any other fund? So there's a few parameters there that you can uh, think of. So first of all, the team. And with the team comes, again, a combination of things. So first of all, it's the track record. What's the track record of the team as a whole? Also, what complementary experience do they each give? So you don't want, uh, when you're thinking about starting a fund with someone, it's pretty much as a marriage or even harder than a marriage because there's a lot of significant consequences that LPs can do to decide to walk out uh, prior to kind of the investment period ending. So it's important to see how, uh, first of all, the chemistry of your partnership, your culture and value for where you stand, because there will be a lot of hardships. And it's important to make sure that you're aligned on that. The experience of those people, because you want uh, professional people that have a track record in different things. And finally, complementary experience. You don't want to be a team of people that have the exact same experience, because then there is no differentiation. So you can think of bringing people that have uh, different backgrounds. So um, someone that has grown in a specific market that they're launching versus someone that have seen maybe uh, Silicon Valley, etc. So more developed markets and bringing it more to local. So it's, it's quite important to have this complementary uh, path. And since this is, is quite nascent and it's picking up, there's really a lot of room for innovation in that sense. When you look at yourself as a fund manager, you need to build your own story because a big part of why LPs are putting in the money is you're essentially selling yourself and the track record. So you need to think whether you've done angel investments over the time so you can build your micro portfolio. Since you're a first-time fund manager, you might not really have specific deals to point at other than angels. You can point at your experience from other VCs, so a deal that you have led, supported, or maybe taken like pivotal roles in. Or operational experience, because as I said, like I believe that the best investors are the ones that have had some of operational experience because they can really add value to other founders. So you can try to differentiate on that front. The other part of it is maybe capitalizing on your thesis. So you need to come up with a thesis. It's not just investing. It's what kind of the ticket size, what is the market? So for example, if your algebra, the story was kind of an Egypt-focused fund. So basically capitalizing on the local aspects of, if it's, I don't know, Pan-Africa, maybe have partners from different areas of Africa that it can support. So it's really kind of building a full story around that and being to be to clearly answer why you are different versus any other fund. If this is unclear, then you are not ready to go to the market, but you can also look within and check if this is really the right theme to launch the fund. So this is quite important. Let me interrupt you there. Let me ask you something. Sure. You started off by saying that if we asked you uh, two months ago and today, <laughs> the answer is quite different. And I guess that's also part of what you're getting ready to move into as in your reply. But I'd love to ask you to don't leave us just with that cliffhanger. Tell us what you mean when you say that. Why has that perception changed? Yeah, honestly, it's because of the market dynamics. So a lot of people were 
willing to put in, like there was, I think LP appetite changed uh, drastically given the recession or the market downturn that has been going on. So it might have been easier a few months ago for startups to raise capital or for fund managers to raise capital. Hence, it's become a lot more competitive for a fund to raise money. And that's why it's becoming yeah. even more important to kind of articulate well what you're doing. Um, the capital is not abundant as such. So initially, I would have said like that I think Egypt is an amazing market and a great market to invest in. And there's a lot of interest from LPs to put in money in Egypt. I would say that is more of a 2021 story or early 2022. But I think now there's... Um, thankfully, we were able to do the first close. So I, I definitely want to... So I'm very grateful for that, that we're able to close uh, in the midst of the current environment. But also, um, we need to be aware that LPs' interest, I speak of Egypt, but I'm sure other markets as well, LPs have been exposed, whether on the stock market or like in different kind of investments, and thus their appetite to invest is a lot less. Laila, I like the idea that your fund is, is focusing on, I mean, we're having more specialized funds, per se, uh, focusing on particular markets or particular domains. And speaking of algebra, you're focusing on the Egyptian market, which is, I think, one of the fastest growing startup ecosystem in the region. And it is attracting more VC money if we look on the insights the past couple of years. When we talk about the Egyptian market in particular, where do you exactly see the opportunities in that market? Are we seeing more better regulations from the government side or more better infrastructure? Where do you think the unique selling point of that market, uh, if you could say? I think it's a mix of things. First of all, you have a hundred million population, so a big population. Half of this population is under the age of 24, aka tech savvy. So these are people that are eager to adopt internet and technology. You have great relations with the nearby markets in terms of expansion. You have a kind of a diverse economy as opposed to focus on one specific sector. So there is, you can disrupt different sectors. So that's kind of on the macro level or on the country itself. But then if you take it one step further, if you look at the founders or kind of the talents, Egypt is very unique in the sense that uh, what we're witnessing now is this flywheel effect. So the early tech startups that have set up shop here, you have the Ubers, the Kareems, and Swivels, have graduated exceptional founders-to-be. So if you look at now kind of the high-flying companies, these are all, the founders of these companies are a product of the earlier scale-ups where they were able to learn and get kind of operational experience. If you go back maybe five or even 10 years ago, people didn't get that operational experience before. It was more of learning at the job, whereas now they have learned it in other fields. You have definitely Egypt as a talent hub in terms of a lot of multinationals also setting shop here. So a lot of technical talent and business talent. So the talent is quite strong in that front. And then you have government initiatives. So there's a clear movement from the government towards internet adoption, whether it's e-invoicing, whether it's uh, POSs, tax invoices, etc. So there's a strong push from the government facilitating people to move online, Instapay, for example. And then a fourth aspect of that is the amount of marketing that has been spent by, um, again, international scale-ups that have started here. So the likes, again, of Uber and Kareem have really educated the market on using applications towards reaching an end goal. So it's now kind of not a matter of um, teaching someone to use an app. People are already using app. I'm just 
introducing something that would make their life better, except that they have already passed that kind of uh, barrier. So that's also quite important. I, I remember uh, in my early days in VC, when we're looking at kind of market sizing, et cetera, we would look at the number of smartphone holders which is now really a vanity metric, right? Because you have everyone with smartphones or the majority of people have smartphones. The, the question has become how many people are using applications? You have half of Egypt on Facebook, half of Egypt on WhatsApp. So it's past kind of those, um, you know, initial numbers of smartphones and now really measuring application usage. I think one of the most phenomenal things is Thailand, when it was first launched, which is a tuk-tuk ride-hailing app, right? So at kind of its highest moments, it was doing around 100,000 rides a day. So people might not be able to read and write, but they're comfortable enough to kind of press on some buttons and know that they're going to get tuk-tuk to pick them up from one spot to drop them in another spot. So it's, it's really quite amazing how the population is ready for the disruption. And I think these are kind of yeah. really the major kind of uh, trends to what makes Egypt hot. In terms of major trends or kind of interesting opportunities, I feel in Mina, when I look at opportunities in terms of the investment pieces of funds, um, for me, when we were discussing this as a team for Algebra Ventures, was kind of the multi-stage investing approach. So I've had some experience at very early stage investing as well as later stage. But being able to go in very early and offer a small ticket to the, to the startup and then increase your investments as the company grows and achieves numbers, I think this is a very strong added point. Because if this is a hot deal, being a multi-stage investor secures that you get in early on. Because as a startup, you need to think, I want to raise money, but I also want to make sure that there is continuity of funding because every new investor coming in and the next round is going to ask, are the existing investors coming in? And if they're coming in, how much or why they're not coming in? So it might be great that you raise a big seed round, but if most of the investors are not going to continue, then this raises kind of a question mark. And then if there is a bridge that is needed at a certain point and they're unable to contribute, then it's really an issue. It also helps to protect your ownership because early stage investors, as the company grows, later stage investors might be only willing to put in money. And we've seen a few aggressive kind of approaches like insisting on buying up the early stage, etc. So if you have the dry powder to defend your position, that's also a very strong solid point. So I think the multi-stage approach is quite important, especially in a hot market. Leila, so it's quite clear that you're bullish about the Egyptian market. But I started off this recording by teasing that we've had a lot of technical issues. I recall a quote by you from the first recording. So I'm going to quote it back to you and I'm going to ask you to explain. You said something along the lines of, quote, you have this kind of crystal ball effect in the Egyptian market, unquote. And I'd love to ask you if you recall saying that. And second, if you could explain what you meant by saying that and how that connects to what you're saying just now. Actually, the crystal ball uh, approach is one of algebra's investment pieces. So the idea is we are a founder's first fund. So if we can see very strong founders that have scale-up experience, execution experience, and we strongly believe in those founders, then we can help them problem solve for the market itself or for this, the, the idea itself. And that is because 
and Egypt, I believe, or generally we all believe uh, as a fund, is that we have this crystal ball effect, which is if you look at structurally similar markets that are more developed, you can tell which sectors or areas that would pick up. So for example, when you made the investment in cylinder, the, the idea of cylinder, it's not rocket science, right? This is not something that has never been tried and then we're exploring the Egyptian market. There are similar models like cylinder in other emerging markets. So you have Spinneys or Cars 24 in India. You have Kavak in Mexico. So having this crystal ball effect in the sense that if you can see that there are similar plays that have worked in other similar markets, then by coupling the idea with a strong execution team, you would argue that this is a more de-risked investment than a regular investment. So while it is pre-launch, it is still early on, but if you're able to kind of get the mix of the right team and the right business because of this crystal ball, then you would able to make sound investment decisions. So that's really what I mean by that. Laila, we'd love to end up the episodes uh, usually with a quick fire round, quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds. I hope you're ready for that. Sure, let's do it. Okay, so first question from that. What is the most shocking, unexpected thing that you've learned throughout your career in the venture scene? So I think not shocking most, but I think moving from kind of private equity investment banking and then looking into companies that are pre-launch, for me, the idea of valuing those companies on uh, projected growth multiples was something that was very counterintuitive when I first started. But one of the things that... I think it's important for first-time fund managers to realize and really go with is that the ecosystem is quite small. So you could be the best person at analyzing things or research, etc. But this is really a people's business. It's really about you building relationships with the founders, being a good investor, being cooperative with other investors. Really, it's you know, it's such a small ecosystem that whatever you do comes back to you. So it's so important to really work by that. I love that. The second question here, which is pretty much related to your um, role as a GP with Algebra Ventures, uh, and since you are a first-time fund manager, so I assume you can tell us a lot about that. What are your top tips for emerging VCs who are fundraising, and especially in these economic conditions these days? I think building the right team and the right team experience is great, but making sure that as a team you have the same work ethics Building the right team and the right experience is great, but making sure that you have, as a team, the right, the same work ethics and values is crucial. Third question, what can we expect from you in the future and from Algebra Ventures as well? So a big fun size with a strong thesis, hopefully, and a solid portfolio. Great returns and hopefully making a huge impact. I um promised I would throw some curveballs and I want to throw one by adding a fourth quick fire question. Leila, no pressure to people listening in. You might not know, but Leila has some interesting opinions about the need for more failure stories in venture, generally speaking. So Leila, what is one of your favorite failure stories or failure learnings actually that you like to share with our audience that you are aware of in, in the ecosystem around you? So for, uh, I mean, thank you for bringing that up. I actually recently wrote an article about how to fail and, and kind of the expectations on that. 
I think it's so important to share more failures than successes because as a founder, as a star, as a person, it makes you more relatable. People will cheer for you and they will realize that you're not a superhero, you're a human. In terms of most interesting failures, I think there's there's a lot. I look at my career as well. There's been plenty of, of things. Really, I think we've all went through career mismatch across our uh, our path. So it's um, I, there's not one specific, but I've learned a lot of attributes the hard way, let's say. So maybe not necessarily being as flexible or standing up for yourself as much. You know, there are certain things that you only learn when you go through and, and there are setbacks for that. So it's, um, Absolutely. I think for it, we need another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always say that you only learn by failing. You never learn with successes, right? Yeah. So, uh, and, and David, value... I, I would love to be part of that uh, failures podcast. Uh, it's super interesting <laughs> to see uh, the, 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 the failure VC podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll think okay. about that. Leila, shoot us the link to the article. We'll be sure to add it to the podcast notes and share it when we publish this episode. Awesome. And thank you for joining us, Leila. And thank you for dealing with all the technical issues that we've had. If anyone listening in is interested, just know that this took Leila triple the time that it normally takes most of our guests. Mm -hmm. And she was very kind and elegant throughout the whole process and didn't give us any shit. So I appreciate that, Leila. Thank you. Thanks, David. It's great speaking with everyone. Thank Thank you so much, Leila. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Want to be on top of who the best up-and-coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know.